1: engineering your success
2: we wanted to give our team some some additional help you know we're not playing great baseball right now and we need to uh we need to boost boost ourselves so we think these players can uh can give us that opportunity And particularly with Frazier and Chirinos, we're bringing in two right-handed bats, guys that have had success against right-handers in the past, which I think is something that that we wanted to balance our club out with right now. And then with with Miguel Castro, he gives us a late-inning relief pitcher that's young. uh, He's got controllable years going forward, and so we think he's a pitcher that can help us not only in 2020 but also as we look towards the roster in 2021. Todd. You know, he can come in, he can get a big hit, he can face a tough left-handed pitcher, he can hit a home run, he can start a game at third base, he can start a game at first base, and he can DH you know, as we have different uh, different options. It's, you know, we faced a lot of left-handed pitching lately, and because we have so much length to our lineup from the left side, you know, people, people can, can stack lefties against us and, and be effective with it. So the, the goal here is to give Louie an additional right-handed bat, and, and it shouldn't be lost that we want Todd Frazier's energy to come in and bring some life. You know, be a guy that can come in and and remind people what uh, you know what having fun is all about. His batting average on balls in play was was very low this year, and so I think there's some correction that could happen. And he's had a history of it. You know, when, when you look at the 2020 season, there are so many variables that factor into what we're seeing. And uh, you know, our hope is that in a new environment and with this team, that he can he can find some of the some of the old offensive power and offensive strength that he's that he's shown previously in his career. So, um, you know, I think he's got a career 850 OPS or close there close there to it against left-handed pitching and it's something that we think could help us here as we try to balance our offense. We we weren't motivated to move from the top of our of our prospect system and but we also wanted to show this team and show uh, and show this market that we are we are far from quitting on this season. That this is a year that hasn't gone as smoothly as we would have liked, and we have a lot of bunching up from teams in the in the National League, particularly in our division. We've got to play better baseball, but we think these three pieces can help us do that.
0: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Tuesday, September the first, twenty twenty. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, send me a note at Mike Silva at talking No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, it's nice to be able to get back talking baseball. And uh, first, I want to thank everybody, good, bad or indifferent. I uh, got a ton of feedback on our last show from Saturday. Uh, obviously spent the majority, if not all of the show uh, talking about the Mets and, and where they basically fit in off the field. And, and it's nice that today, as we react to the trade deadline, that we can move past that. But whether you agree, disagreed, Like the guest, like Sid Rosenberg or not, uh, I want to thank you for interacting. I want to thank you for listening. I know some people said they're not going to listen anymore and hope you'll be back because I think that we'll have some good shows in the future and, uh, you know, nothing personal. So what are we going to do this week now? So as I said, it was a little bit different and that's why I had done the, the, the segment on what happened last week with the walkout on the field on Saturday, knowing that the trade deadline was coming up, knowing that. Content would go pretty stale on Sunday. The plan was to react, if anything happened, to the trade deadline and then potentially do something else as we head into Labor Day weekend in September and the unofficial, as, as Memorial Day is the unofficial start of summer, Labor Day is that unofficial end of summer. Although I think it feels a lot different for people because the travel hasn't been there and it's just, you know, time flies in a baseball season, but it flies even more when you're in a 60 game season and so much has happened since March since we thought that the Mets were going to break camp and and they didn't. It's just amazing. Here we are talking about the trade deadline when almost like Ioannis Cespedes' home run, that opening day home run, it looks like, uh, it just feels like yesterday. So, but there will be another show this week before Labor Day and working on a guest and And I think we'll focus more on the news of the ownership situation at that point. I really wanted just to stick to the trade deadline. And how I'll start off is I laugh because one of the debates we've had on this show has been teams or lack thereof going and competing and trying to win and the prospect hugging and all the things that happened. Every year, and the Mets getting criticized a lot of times for going for it, for trading what, in a lot of ways, is a far less haul than what you saw the San Diego Padres trade. um, For uh, Mike Clevenger and, uh, you know, what you throughout You know, the Reds acquiring a bunch of players. Look at the Diamondbacks selling off in a, in a, in a short season. You know, I, that's a little shot at the bow, I think, that, you know, some people may realize that with the uncertainty of attendance and in the economy, I mean, teams, and the Diamondbacks are one of them, You know, the Pirates are, were selling some players off this winter, uh, you're going to see some teams start to really pull back. And even in a 60-game season, that was the one team that I think stood out to me that, that pulled back there was the Arizona Diamondbacks. But look at the Padres finally realizing after all these years, uh, time to go for it. And one of the things that, and I was talking to, uh, you know, like I said, I have a few people in baseball that I trust that I go to. One of the points that was made to me by someone in baseball was that, and, and this was actually brought up during the Matt eholt segment a couple of weeks ago, with the way that teams don't compete now, with the focus on prospects, with the expanded roster, the Rule 5 draft every winter now is going to actually be something where you have to, assume that any kind of prospect that has any kind of ability to contribute to the big league roster that you have a desire to keep, you're going to have to put them on that 40-man. And, you know, those are 40-man spots that are going to be sucked up and it's going to cause veterans, the Carlos Gomez types, let's say, we'll call back to last year, the Adani Echeverria types that came into camp last year, to have to go on minor league deals. And then when you want to put them on the roster, and you saw that this year with the way that the shuffling went. The Jordan Humphreys is going to get designated because he really, at this point, you know, in a lot of ways, I guess the Mets felt he shouldn't have been on the roster. And you're going to lose him. And then you have to trade him for Billy Hamilton. So 40 man roster management is imperative and really understanding who your prospects are, what their ceiling is. And. What you, Who you need and who you don't need is going to go a long way. Now, that's going to drive fans crazy because every prospect they love. And I think it's more of a Twitter subset than it is generally. But talk radio is getting into it now. They were always the last. I mean, no surprise talk radios last of the party on everything. That's why they're in the position they're in. But it it goes to where these deals that you saw the Mets make where you have to just take a step back and try to be really honest about the player and what the team was trying to accomplish. Now, after Friday, new owner, doubleheader sweep of the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, regardless of the fact, like I said, that it didn't feel the same. Uh, Media praise for being social justice warriors. I mean, the Mets don't get much media praise, but they got that. Mets are flying high, and then they had a sleepy Saturday offensively. And then they had the awful, and I'll tell you, that loss in game one on Sunday was just as bad, in my opinion, as the Washington loss last September. Just as bad. Two outs, five on lead. The Washington loss was spiraling way before it got two outs, runner on. And you saw the growing pains with Andres Jimenez. Uh, And and most importantly, and it'll tie into what they did at the deadline, you saw that the Mets continue to not be able to, and I think Luis Rojas has not been great at managing a bullpen. And part of that I wonder, and, and it's not an excuse, but when you have no starting pitching and you're really using bridge guys like Chase and Shreve to schedule them as part of double headers, even seven innings, because now you're stretching Seth Lugo out, it really makes it hard to manage a bullpen in the traditional way where you go in, you say, I have this many guys. These are the guys I have available, and, and let me go with that. Because a five-run lead at Yankee Stadium, I don't care if, if Judge and Stanton are not in there. I mean, that's a, a ballpark where anybody with moderate power, your Talkmans, your Voigt, your Fords, guys like that, they get a hole of one. You know, a five-run lead becomes a three-run, three-run lead right very quickly. I mean, walk, home run, back in the ballgame. So, again, you saw the Mets Bad bullpen management. Rojas hasn't really distinguished himself there. I think part of that is, again, this is a guy learning on the job. This is a guy that was thrown into the sauce, has some good communication and people skills, definitely a guy that the, uh, the front office feels could bridge the gap. But he's going off the script that the front office has, and when you're scripting because you don't have legitimate starting pitching that could get you deep outside of really DeGrom, well, this is what happens. You, you know, The Mets do not have... A starting pitching staff, and they really don't have a bullpen that you've in a 162 game season that puts them anything more than a 90 loss team. You know, you can't go bullpen every night. In the tournament season, you could do this, and the Mets should be. They're 15 and 20. I really believe they should be the opposite. They've blown so many games late. There's no reason why the Mets can't have a better record. I mean, I think they made this comment. It was Rojas made this comment. Maybe this resilient group. And, and a group that, uh, you know, has been able to bounce back and a group that's in every game. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's, you know, that's that's uh, participation trophy talk, but it is what it is. Now, as far as can the Mets make it? Well, what's funny is that everybody is ready to write them off. And rightfully so. I mean, they're not playing well. They're, they're a team that really has a lot of red flags. But again, you have to finish first or second in your division. And then if you don't, the next two teams in those two tiers... Make the playoffs. They still have a fifty-three percent chance, based on at least Baseball References playoff odds of making the playoffs. So what's what's interesting is that last year everybody likes to cite because now they don't like the Stroman trade that what the Mets playoff odds were at the deadline because they got better because they went on a roll right after that. But now nobody nobody cites that now because like, oh, it doesn't matter. Playoff odds, Mets. to are the Playoffs. That's it. You know. So it's just funny, just just the hypocrisy. But very interesting that now teams in a 60-game participation trophy type season, now they're going for the A.J. Prowlers and all that. Just, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it for the billionth time. And you all better listen, and if you're not on board, you better get on board. Because if you love this sport, you're going to need teams to start competing. You're going to need teams to start competing. Because fans are not, I repeat, not going to. Whether they're allowed in the ballpark or not, with unemployment and with uncertainty, and and especially now, you know, even if and I said this all the time, no matter who tells you, what organization tells you it's safe to go out and gather, there is going to be a large percentage of people that are not going to do that for a very, 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 very long time, and that does not lend itself to people making a casual visit to the ballpark on a Sunday in June, and they're certainly not going to do it unless if they are going to do it, they're going to do it. There's going to be a reason. And they're going to do it for McDonald's Family Sunday. And they're not going to do it because they're giving away um, you know a hat or a bat. You know, it might sound like Dr. Seuss now. Or uh, uh, you know maybe a bobblehead because everybody's obsessed with bobbleheads. They're going to do it because it's a winning team. And if the team stinks, they'll go and read. the, They'll watch the highlights on, on MLB.TV, uh, whatever they have on cable, whatever on Amazon, whatever, because they're not going to sit at the ballpark pay for the parking. I mean there were actually people. Uh, I think it was Joel Sherman that suggests with the ownership change for the Mets, well the Mets tickets prices are undervalued. There's so much more that they could charge for that. And I'm sure that's the case pre-pandemic. You better be careful about raising anything, parking tickets, whatever. Because I don't know if people are going to fly. Really. So, winning is important. Now, let's get to the Mets. I told you, the only kind of deals I would have supported in this season are deals that would get them assets and players for next year. And I know there was some that thought the Mets should sell, and they should sell and try to acquire prospects. I don't know if those kind of prospects, because again, depending on who you talk to, I talk to people in the industry that think the Padres did really well with the haul they got. You talk to media types. Media types are looking at more of the marketing of prospects. They feel that they didn't get any of the core Prospect. So if Clevenger is not getting, uh, you know, that kind of haul, uh, other than Degrom, I mean, what what do you think you're going to get for Rick Porcello? I mean, you're going to trade Pete Alonso. You're just going to give up on Pete Alonso. I mean, the Mets' offensive core is pretty young, so I, I don't know where you would trade off on there. And anything that's a secondary part, uh, you know, Wilson Ramos, he's not going to get you anything. He's not hitting. I mean you saw what the Mets got for uh, you know had to give up for Chirinos uh, that's what you would have gotten catch that's what you're going to get for Ramos if anybody wanted them and then pitching is what people want and bullpen help is what people want and Mets don't really have that now Diaz maybe Diaz maybe but you'll be selling low and we'll be get, get to that in a minute but really what the Mets did is they did exactly what I told you that they were going to do they they made some moves that were going to boost them for this year in the Chirinos and Frazier moves they didn't give up anything. I don't know who the players to be named later were going to be, but uh, I would be surprised if it's anybody. I'm sure they'll freak out. If it's anybody that's a prospect, they'll be freaked out, just like people still freak out about who the Mets gave up for J.D. Davis. And, and only other than the Twitter nerds and the and the guys that uh, spend all their, their time trying to be prospect writers for jobs, that's the new – like it used to be analytics. People were writing about it to get a job. Oh, I'm seeking the truth. No, you're not. You're looking to get a job. Just be honest. It's okay. That's, that's okay. Looking to get work and getting paid for what you do is okay. Now it's prospects. Everybody wants to be a prospect writer. So um, they'll freak out about it. I doubt it'll be anybody that'll come back to haunt them in either of those deals. Uh, the cash is probably the most painful thing for this ownership group right now. But, you know, they also gave up a promising young starter for a reliever that to me, and, and I asked somebody who's very familiar that had, you know worked in one of the organizations that Uh, This guy has been in not the current organization, but an organization in the past. And, you know, he told me basically, he said, look, guy's a bit of a thrower. Uh, You know, there's not as much command there. Uh, You look at the numbers over historically, he strikes out a lot of guys. He walks a lot of guys. He's home run prone at times. Um, Saw the videos, got a nasty slider. So, uh, you know, Castro to me... uh, You know, he's typical of what you get in 2020 baseball when it comes to reliever. He's a guy that you're going to bring in. He's going to look really good sometimes. He's going to put guys on base, Miguel Castro, and he's going to give up a big home run. And, you know, this is where we're at with the Mets when it comes to developing bullpen arms. They just can't. Miguel Castro is necessary because they actually have to take what – At this point, Miguel Castro and those kind of players are more important than starters because we're at Little League. Guys, do you realize, and and I understand that the pandemic and the shortened season is playing into this because of prep and because of injuries, but do you realize that Jason Shreve has pitched 15 innings this year? And, you know, that's like... uh, you know, 10 less than David Peterson. Now, I know Peterson has been injured. I mean, he has five starts. Porcellos pitched 33 innings in seven games. Uh, Chasen Shreve has pitched 15. I mean, you're, you're not getting a big separation between starter and reliever innings. But we're at little league portions. I mean, I, I think a sandlot, yeah, your starters win three, four innings, then you bring in another guy. These are things that were happening in, in the late 80s, but these were sandlot things. These are things that you're used to seeing in uh, short season baseball, three, four inning starts. And then bring in relievers. Uh, it's amazing to me where the game is at right now. It's from a pitching standpoint, it's a mess. Every game's a bullpen game. It's like a chess match. It's good for the kind of the, the mental bubble gum. It's interesting. It's certainly going to give relievers a chance to continue to make some money. But you burn your relievers out. You saw that with Jared Hughes the other day. You're leaving every game, regardless of how many runs you're up in the balance. You saw that again the other day. Um and it's really the seventh. Anything after the sixth inning is where the game slows down and you're seeing some bad baseball. Every team, the bullpen, the guys they like are Miguel Castro. Thrower without command, a lot of walks. Home runs, uh, inconsistency. Look at the Mets' bullpen. Look at the walk rates in the Mets' bullpen. It's Familia, 6.8 per nine. Diaz, 5.5. Wilson, 4.2. Baton says before he got hurt, 6.1. Hughes, 5.4. Actually, Shreve is pretty good. He's actually got some, you know some of the best walk rates in there. I mean, Lugo was the best. He was the one you were the most comfortable with. Everybody walks, guys. Everybody. I mean, Brock. I didn't even go to Brock. Six point four. So the Mets bullpen is made up of Miguel Castro right now, and they rather they throw soft, they throw hard. They have, they have nobody is commanding their pitches. Nobody is keeping runners off base. You're going to say it's the strike zone. You're going to say the hitters are more patient. Maybe. You cannot achieve and win a championship or go anywhere near or sniff anything in the playoffs if you're going to have guys that are going to walk five, six, seven, or more batters per nine out of the bullpen. Now, look at the Dodgers. I mean, that's a different ballgame. Yeah, you know, Kelsey Jansen, he'll walk. And I know that that's, you know, you go by the cream of the crop. Let's compare the cream of the crop. And they have Blake Trine, and there's a guy that walks some guys. You know, he's, he's you know, still a very good pitcher. But their guys, they don't want anybody coming out of the bullpen. They strike out just as many as the Mets, but they don't want anybody coming out of the bullpen. That's where you want to get. And to me, the Mets, this is as much of an indictment. The fact that Miguel Castro, and I don't know, and let's not get crazy about Kevin Smith. Because you don't know what Kevin Smith is going to be. Got some interesting scatter reports. Seems to have some real savvy on the mound. Ascended through the organization. He wasn't a number one draft pick. You've got to give the guy all sorts of credit for being where he is. Pitcher of the year and putting himself on the radar. That's how Jacob DeGrom did it. He walks a lot of guys. You see the numbers. They have guys down at that alternate site. We don't have any access there. And last I looked, none of the prospect writers for any of the blogs have access down there. If they do, God bless you, then maybe you you should tout that a little bit unless it's a big secret. Maybe you could talk to scouts because I'm sure scouts are down there. But from what I understand, they're using a lot of the high-tech and new-age video to watch these guys pitch in sim games out in Brooklyn. And my fear is, is that a lot of decisions are being made based on statistics, spin rate, and video, and less on, well, who is this pitcher? Who is this guy? And you tell me you got a savvy guy, who's lefty, got some deception, at the very least he should be able to Come out of the bullpen and get lefties out. Now I know that, that that's that's not that valuable anymore with the three batter rule, but then you ask yourself, is he a lefty? Could get to get righties out? You know, because then you're always going to have those sandwich innings where you have lefty, righty, lefty, or vice versa. You know, where Freddie Freeman's in the middle of all of it. And, you know, I think getting Freddie Freeman out is pretty important. But think about this. Think about the flip side here. So the, the dangerous side is how are they making decisions. And I know what everyone's going to say. Brody doesn't like any of the prospects. Well, Brody has accumulated a good number of prospects already through his draft, and they've also looked at some of the lower-level guys that have ascended now that uh, they want to keep. It's very simple. Brody knew who he wanted. Brody knows who he doesn't want. And the guys he doesn't want, he doesn't hold on to. So he gets rid of them. Should he get rid of them for Billy Hamilton or for Jake Marisnik or for... Uh, You know, Miguel Castro, uh, that's a different story. Different story for another day. You could debate that. But they're getting something of present value for the roster. Just like I said, it's just about as much 2021 as 2020, and Castro does that. But what does it say about Kevin Smith? Granted, his development has been stunted because of no minor league season. And I think you might have a different feel of him if there was a minor league season. That a team has... No starting pitching. Their number two, number three starter had gone down. Their number four starter has gone down. Their depth at number six, Michael Waka, has gone down. Their depth at number seven, David Peterson, has gone down. The fact that they are starting, they move Lugo into the rotation, which is a 2021 move as well. They're going back to Gazelman when they need bullpen help. That he can't even get a, a start. He can't get put on the roster. What does that tell you? Tells me a lot. Tells me that you may want to think twice before you panic about what the Mets just traded. That's what it tells me. That's just the only thing I I want to say. You know, you got to put the guy and you got to do what you got to do on the roster. But to me, if this guy was anything near a solution in the next two years, forget about just next year after that. And I think they described him as a fifth starter, which to me is pretty damn valuable these days. But is he a real fifth starter, or is he a three-inning fifth starter? Because now the the definition is different. Number ones and number twos give you five, six innings. Now everybody else gives you three or four, and you're in the bullpen in the fourth inning. I mean, that's what it's come down to. That's what the league has come down to. That's why you got the media asking for seven-inning games. I mean, all all weekend asking for seven-inning games, it's pathetic. By the way, is everybody going to take less money? We just talked about tickets going up and parking going up and how undervalued the Mets are. You change everything to 7 inning games, you're going to lower all that? Are the players going to take what's 2 divided into 7? You know, it's not a, you know, not quite 25%, you're going to take a 20% or so pay cut? for the less baseball that we got or are you going to try to market and the media is going to market for major league baseball that it's a better product at 7 inning games all because we can't train guys we can't get any starting pitching and we can't train guys to go deep and that all, all we do now all we do now is focus on guys who throw hard doesn't matter if you could you know if I could go and throw a ball 100 miles an hour at the carnival I probably could get a spot in someone's bullpen in major league baseball and I'm lefty so that's a double bonus but again, I don't know if that matters anymore because of the three-batter rule. So to me, that's an indictment on Kevin Smith that he can't even break in on. If you can't break into a rotation like Peterson did this year, then I don't know what you really are. I mean, that's the caution. But on the flip side, and you look at it this way, you know, the, the Orioles have some of those old Astros analytics guys. Maybe they say, you know, we, just, we see a guy like Castro that's made improvements. His walk rate's down. He seems to be commanding his pitches a little bit better. He's still young. They're going to sell high and say, you know what, we'll take the guy that could be the starter, even though we'll be a fifth starter. They're understanding what everybody else who is a smart baseball person understands that ultimately the starting pitching is what wins it for you. You should be able to get another version in your own organization of Miguel Castro. The Mets have not. They have not for a long time. The Mets have been unable to, with the exception of maybe a year to a year and a half, Mainly 2016 with Addison Reed and Familia at their height. They have not been able to build a bullpen. It's the most amazing thing I've seen. No failed starters. was a failed starter. I mean, that's where he was in Toronto. And he was part of the Reyes-Tulewitzki deal, so it obviously was potential. But to me, I mean, it's just amazing that the Mets can't get any failed starter to come out of the bullpen, throw some gas not walk players, and get you some outs. No lead is safe. This is now two to three years in a row. Historically bad bullpens. And Batances doesn't look good. And Familia doesn't still look good. Too many walks. These are all guys that should not be in the 7th, 8th, or ninth inning in close games. These are guys that should be rounding out as number 5 or 6 in your bullpen. You bring them in with a little bit of a cushion, or you bring them in when you're behind, um, and that's a make of a good bullpen, too. That you got guys that you could bring in when you're behind and they could keep you in the game. Jason Shreve, who's at another, he's actually uh, controllable for next year. He's been the most pleasant surprise out of that bullpen. I think Jared Hughes hasn't done a bad job, but I think they're pitching him a lot. They're throwing his arm out because he's a veteran. So can this trade blow up? I have a hard time believing Kevin Smith all of a sudden is going to be a top of the rotation starter. But I'll tell you what, don't be surprised in two, three years, the Mets are looking for a back in the rotation pitcher and Kevin Smith is out there doing some nice things in Baltimore in the American League East and Castro struggling because he can't get the ball over the plate and he's giving up home runs and we're having this conversation again. I'm not going to go crazy for it. I don't think Brody did anything other than what you would have expected him to do, which is go out there make responsible trades to help the Mets try to compete and win. Winning is important and bringing in guys that can help them next year. Castro does that because he's controllable. Uh, now, how does Chirinos and Frazier do that? Cause those two guys we haven't gotten to, and that's more of an interesting situation. So Chirinos that tells you a little bit is that they may start to believe that Ramos is done. And obviously without doing irresponsible responsible speculation, Thomas Nito's on the injured list for undisclosed reasons. Uh, and now that Jimenez is back, who is also on the injured list for undisclosed reasons, I think it's pretty safe to say who had you know, the coronavirus. And let's hope if that's the case—let's hope it's not the case. But if it is the case, let's hope he's okay. I'm sure he will be. And it's a shame because he was starting to play very well. He was starting to show some life to his bat. He's definitely a top framer. You can look at any of the numbers— Um, I don't think he's as good behind the plate as people make him out to be, but he does some really nice things, and he's the best defensive catcher they have, and the Mets need more defense up the middle. We know that. I mean, that's important. We've seen them win a game this year with defense up the middle, with Guillaume and Jimenez and and, and obviously with Nito doing what he does behind the plate. Uh, Ramos is starting to show the age. The power is going. Uh, He's not hitting for average. He's not good defensively enough to... Have a below league average hitter like him. He's a backup at that point. Uh, so what does Chirinos do? Torino's brings in another version of Wilson Ramos. Not really a great catcher, right handed pop, and uh, you know he's controllable for next year if they, have, they want the option of about five million dollars. And I firmly believe, and I do not believe that Brody Van Wagen will be fired when the ownership situation goes through. I think he's got a another year in him here. I think he has to. I think I think the new ownership group will allow him a year to show that this team is headed in the right direction. And I would not judge him off of everything this year. But Chirinos is ahead your bet that if you can't go out there and get a catcher like Real Muto, who I believe should be the number one free agent target for the Mets this winter, that you can keep Nito. Uh, you could bring Chirinos back at a reasonable $5 million price tag. And he can push Nito. Maybe Nito's the starting catcher. Maybe you go less offense. And if he could be league average Nito behind the plate, Great with his defense, and that's the direction you go if you can't go out and get a, a a a real Muto, who, by the way, will be hitting the age of thirty and will be a risk. So it's not like he's a slam dunk, but that's the guy I'd go after. So Chirino solves that. The the Frazier one is the more interesting one, and if you heard and you were listening in the opening to Brody Van Wagenen's comments about energy and leadership and clubhouse presence and stuff like that, and specifically the comment about this, you know, helping the team have fun, that gave you an inkling into the problem you have right now. And I would not be surprised if Frazier's being brought back was specifically for Alonzo more than anything, because, and maybe McNeil, because those two guys who were essentially the heart and soul of the 2019 Mets, and Pete at a young age coming in, doing all the things he did, having probably, like I said, and we talked about this with Doc Gooden when he came on during the pandemic, when the shutdown was going on, having the maybe the best year of his career, the first year, only makes things harder. Now you're seeing Pete not smile as much. You're seeing the bats broken over his knee like Bo Jackson. You're seeing McNeil scream after every out. They're clearly not having fun. And maybe there's some leadership gap there because, you know, who's a high-energy guy? You know, it's it's been McNeil, it's been uh, Alonzo. I mean, Cano is not that guy, and Wilson Ramos is not that guy. And, uh, you know, they're just not those guys. So you bring in a guy like Frazier, who can hit uh, left-handed pitching very well, can play first and third, can DH, is a good defensive third baseman. Could probably bring him in when J.D. Davis is back and, and make him sub in defensively late, get a little bit better defense upgrade. And if he's a good clubhouse presence, a good bench guy, a good guy to have around, he's making a reasonable amount in 2021 at $5 million a year. I understand he's a former client of Brody, but Brody's you know, he knows these guys. And that's one of the things, if you're looking for somebody that's going to give you, you know, a lot of guys could give you a Frazier gives you off the bench from a baseball standpoint. But if you know these guys, if you represented these guys and you know what they can do off the field at a more intimate level, yeah, then, you know, that's the way you're going to go. You're going to go with who you knows. But I think they specifically brought Frazier back to help Alonso. I really do. I think Alonso needs someone to kind of talk to him, guide him, take some pressure off of him, make him smile again. This team needs to stop acting like, I mean, they, they continue to act like they have the weight of the world on their shoulder. Yeah. The fans aren't happy with them. Fans aren't happy with them for more than just baseball reasons. I hate to tell them. They they made that bed. They're going to have to lie in that now. They're going to have to use the baseball to wipe away the -the off-the-field mistake they made. The way they handled themselves last Thursday. That's not going away. Put that in the parking lot. The fans hate the ownership group. They're being punished for that. That's not fair, but that's the lot they got. That'll go away when Cohen hopefully takes over. And I think Brody won't be looked at the same way by the media or the fans when Cohen takes over. Cohen will wipe away, at least temporarily, a lot of the Wilpon negativity that continues to permeate. And that's where some of the negativity, I think, from the ownership situation, which I knew was always going to be a problem. Selling a team and trying to win and compete and show hope in the future, uh, it doesn't give you a lot of positive vibes when you're... Basically, putting a transaction out there that's a negative transaction from a standpoint of the current people there. Everybody's on edge. Who is this guy going to want? Makes it really tough to win. But this team is not as much fun as they were having. Because even when they were losing in the first half, I think Alonzo and McNeil, there was still energy. It was the bullpen that undid them in the first half. They're not having any of the energy and fun that you saw in the second half last year at all. Having from day one. Now, could be possible the way the season started. The fear of getting sick, the protocols, all that stuff, I'm certainly thinking could play into it. Somebody had said to me before the season started, it was a great point how difficult it was going to be for the Mets, a team that fed off the crowd energy at City Field, to play without crowds. I mean, it was dead this weekend. At the, I mean, of course it was dead. There was no fans in the stands at Yankee Stadium. Didn't feel of uh, a juice with the Subway Series. Could you imagine that place buzzing on a Sunday afternoon with the Mets blowing a five-run lead? That would have been a, a, a madhouse. Would have been a special Yankees moment, but it would have been much different. So, to me, Frazier is telling you, and the acquisition of Frazier, is not as necessarily a baseball move. There's a depth move to be made there. But it's telling you that there's a clubhouse gap. I'm not saying there's a clubhouse problem. There's a clubhouse gap, and they need some veterans that could come in and provide some context, provide some energy. There's a lack of energy because if you go up and down the roster, and we don't know these guys, we don't cover them, and even the writers are not covering them in the clubhouse like they used to because of the the protocols and the Zoom. There is a, a something missing there, and they needed to bring that back in. And I think Frazier is a guy that can do that, and I think because he's a local guy, he's reasonably cost, he can hit left-handers, he can play a couple of positions. Uh, I think he's brought in for Pete Alonso. I really do, and I don't know that for a fact, but I believe that that's the case, and I think that's why you brought in Frazier. And I don't think either one of these guys is a shoo-in to be here next year, because you could buy him out on options, it seems like from the information that I saw on uh, Baseball Reference. But to me, Frazier bring something more off the field where Chirinos is giving you what you really probably wanted to get out of Ramos on the field because they're very similar. Very similar. And, and you know, maybe Chirinos, uh, you know, maybe slightly better. He's a right-handed guy with pop who who hasn't hit at all. I mean, that's – who's not really that great defensively. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Wilson Ramos to me. Um, but it, it's better than rushing Ali Sanchez – or, or having to you know Renee Rivera I think Renee, I think they thought Renee Rivera was going to be that guy but clearly he's injured and he's not available and I think he's done for the year anyway so so that's really where we're at with the trade deadline I think the, the the thing to watch is Pete Alonso going forward because having to bring a guy in to bring energy to this clubhouse that was Pete's thing and maybe it became too much in the sophomore year living up to the stats, living up to the hype, taking a lot of responsibility. He's got a guy now pushing him and Dom Smith that could take his job at first base. That's a real situation. I'd be careful before I anointed anybody anything. And and I hate people saying you have to choose if if you don't have to choose right away, why choose? Dom could play left field good enough. So to me, that's the most interesting part of all this. Is you know where does Pete Alonso go because he's having an awful year, still contributing but having an awful year. Looks awful. Body language is bad, bat breaking. Can Todd Frazier help that? Is he going to help that in the clubhouse? Is he going to be, you know, kind of his yogi? We'll talk the word yogi is, you know, kind of a mentor type of thing. So, anyway, that's it. Shorter edition of the podcast. Want to thank everybody for joining in. We'll be back with another edition of the podcast later this week, working on some things, hoping to have something more. We'll talk more about the ownership situation and the Mets going forward. If you want to check this out or any other edition of the Talking Mets Podcast, you could go to podcast.com. You can send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Send me a note, Mike Silva, at podcast.com. No G. Love to hear from you. Until then, until the next podcast, be well. Take care, everybody.